Let's continue that prayer by bowing our heads. Father, that is a, a great prayer by song of the desire of our hearts. We've come here this morning to, to know you a bit more. Because to know you is to know salvation, to know life eternal. We want to know you, Father, in the power of your resurrection. The fellowship of sharing in your sufferings, becoming like you in death. And somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Because of what Christ has done for us, the amazing sacrifice, the lavish of your love upon us in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would cause our hearts to be attentive to the word of God. Allow the spirit of God to examine us. And Father, I pray that we would respond to your promptings that we might live with a sensitivity to you that shapes us and changes us and causes us to serve you in, in amazing ways, Lord. I pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the disciple John was well along in years by 90 or 95 A.D., And he could hardly wait to write chapter 11 of his memoirs about Jesus. Do you know why he was so amped up about chapter 11? Because in chapter 11, Jesus has raised a man from the grave. You know the story. His name is Lazarus. The word is out. Jesus can raise people from the dead. There's a buzz everywhere. Many were turning to Christ in faith because he clearly was demonstrating that he's the promised Messiah. He'd been giving sight to the blind. He'd been causing the deaf to hear, health to the sick. He was releasing from bondage those who through sinfulness were steeped in addictions that were destroying their lives and the lives of their families. He was helping to... um, refocus people from the myopia of themselves to the broad opportunities to serve the world of people around them. And now he had given life to a man who was dead. It's amazing, really, the extravagance of God toward people like you and like me, don't you think? So, In light of all of that, what do you do to properly commemorate these things? How do you say thanks? Well, the religious leaders of that time decided that they would come up with an assassination plot in response. Can you imagine? In John chapter 11, verse 47, in response to the raising of Lazarus from the dead... The religious leaders say this, what are we accomplishing? Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. 
You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, praise the Lord, to bring them together and make them one. So they decided to do what priests do. They plot to kill people. What a bizarre approach to life. Do you realize that the role of a priest is to bring people to God? And as priests of God, as those who've been saved by Jesus Christ and now have been given this rank of priest, we are, we're all called priests of God. Our responsibility and our role is not to kill people. It's to bring people to Jesus Christ. Well, fortunately, in the hometown of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, where By the way, Lazarus had lived and died and was alive again. The family decides to throw a party in the honor of Jesus. Notice in John chapter 12, six days before the Passover. Now, that gives us an important setting right at the very beginning because the Passover leads us to ask the question, This was a time of thanksgiving to God. This was a time of remembrance, a time where they were thanking God for saving them from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. The whole aroma and milieu of the time of that moment was thanksgiving to God. How do you say thanks? You don't plot to kill him. And it says in the text that um, Martha was serving. Surprise, surprise. That's what she did. That's who Martha is. And um, I'm not going to go railing off on Martha because thankfully there are Marthas. Marthas serve. That, that's their giftedness. That's how they, how they demonstrate their great love for God. That's what she was doing. She was serving. That's, that's how Martha loves it. said Lazarus was among those reclining at the table, Lazarus was lounging. Because at a dinner party, that's what guys do. That, that's our job. Our, our job at a dinner party is, is just to like send the women into the kitchen and, and go and lounge with a big bottle of Coke and a bag of chips and some dip. That's what we do and watch sports. That's our job. Can I get an amen? <laughs> so that's what he was doing. I didn't write the Bible. I'm just reporting it. (laughs) And I think they were watching, by the way, the Jericho Leafs and the Bethany Bruins play. And you know that Jesus was cheering for the Bethany Bruins. He's a hometown fan. What can I say? Then Mary empties a whole jar of love and devotion and adoration and mops up the residue from the scent-soaked sandals of Jesus Christ. And it was a moment to remember. And it says in there that the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume.
You see, um, this free flow of gracious, extravagant, generous adoration and praise and worship is what God's people are supposed to do. That's who we are. That's what this celebration this morning is all about. That's That's what Sunday by Sunday celebration is, don't you know? We come together and just lavish our love and adoration and praise and worship upon the one who raised us from the dead. Sometimes we just get so used to that, the thinking of that. I, as I was preparing for this sermon and thinking about it, I, I just wrote in, on, the call, on the side of my Bible, Jesus can raise people from the dead. I had to remind myself all over again, this is who Jesus is. He raises people from the dead. We come and celebrate because those who know Christ are not dead. They're alive eternally. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, weren't we? And he has made us alive and given us abundant life now and forevermore. That's something to praise him for. That's something to lavish our worship upon him. That's, that's something to be extravagant in our praise. So it's pretty appropriate that week by week we would throw a party in honor of Jesus. Sadly, hanging around the celebration was with his nose in the air, offended by the energy behind all the activity that was going on. And the scent of this single-hearted devotion to Jesus is the treasure. His name is Judas Iscariot. There are official treasures in every gathering, and there are unofficial ones. By the way, I'm not taking a shot at treasures today or anything. We have great people here, Cheryl, Ed, you know, hey, I'm not taking a shot at you. This is about Judas. This is how it's written. The church often has those unofficial treasures too, you know, the economic experts. They have a common illness among them. It's called cirrhosis of the giver. And... um, Judas is standing here, and I want you to notice the word that he says in verse 4. It says, he, he, describing him, he objected. Can, can you imagine, honestly, that someone would come in here this morning, and we're singing praises to God and worshiping him and all of this, and someone comes in and says, I object. Now, you know, if it was someone off the street, we might understand that. Pastor Calvin would take him aside, teach him the gospel. But what if it was one of us? That's who Judas was. He was an insider. Been hanging out with Jesus for three years. This is down to the end. I want to, um, to share with you for a few moments three things here that I see. The problem of reasoning like Judas It's a possibility that it could exist among us. 
If it can exist with someone who walked that closely with Jesus for three years, living with him, seeing what he did, he saw him raise Lazarus. He saw him heal the sick people. He saw him give sight to the blind. He saw him make deaf people hear. And so I, I, want to, I want to share three things that I think I notice here. And I want to just finish reading the text here with you, and then I want to come back to them. Here's what Judas says. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Oh, he's so spiritual. It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, told you his treasure. He used to help himself to what was put into it. He had signing authority for the account. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests do what priests do. They made plans to kill people. Lazarus as well, for the, on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Here's the, here's the first problem with reasoning like Judas. You don't see the difference between waste and worship. See what he says here? Why wasn't this perfume sold off instead of poured on Jesus? That's what he says here. Why? That's what he's saying. Why wasn't this sold off instead of being poured on and lavished on Jesus? That's a waste. There's a danger of hanging around the amazing. Be careful. Be careful to, I'm saying this to me, raised in a Christian home, brought to church since the very beginning. Always, I just, just, Seen God things all my life. I mean, if we, if we told someone who had never heard any of this, do you know that there is somebody who can raise people from the dead? Don't you think they would be amazed at that? But we hear it. Ah, yeah, I know that. I know that. There's a danger in years of taking our forgiveness and our eternal life for granted instead of getting up every day and thanking God for his amazing grace when we know who we are and what he has done for us and that he continues to love us. So analytical is Judas. So utilitarian Everything was measured by strict usefulness and utility rather than beauty. For Mary, there's the fresh joy of restored life. That's kind of the mark of the... Not that she was a brand new Christian, but that's like the mark of a brand new Christian who's just all excited about the things of God. For her, my brother was dead and now he's alive. The extravagant grace of Jesus to her family. 
And Judas and his type are standing around saying, I don't understand the money spent on buildings and music and concerts and equipment and church personnel and missions to other places. I don't get all of that. We should give it all the poor people. Sounds good. Poor people in our own town. Years before um, you had your Bibles for Mission, we had our Bibles for Mission uh, store here in Oshawa. Um, Our church in Chatham was uh, significant in spearheading the um, Bibles for Missions ministry in Chatham. Starting that store where you, you you take in your clothes that you don't need anymore and they're sold to people and the money's given for Bibles. That, that ministry, you, you've been there, haven't you? The one in Oshawa. So um, the newspaper, the local newspaper, picked up the story and did a big article on the, on the uh, startup of this store and what was going on. There was an editorial written in the paper, and it went like this. I'm writing about the story in Tuesday, January 31st issue. The story was about the new thrift store opening in Chatham. I'm so tired of people rising... That's how it was written. Rising money for things that have no importance in everyday life. There are many children in Kent County that don't have good clothing, homes to live in, or even good food, or any food to eat in some cases. And we have people that can band together to raise money for Bibles to send to China. This is ridiculous. What about our children? No wonder we have so many children getting into trouble. It's things like this that show that the grown-ups in this area don't care. I have never in my life saw a Bible fill a belly, dress a child, or even put a roof over someone's head. We need to start working on helping the families in this area to have a better life and stop sending Bibles to China, but to put the money here where it is really needed, open soup kitchens, set up a place where our children can go to get help or just hang out, set up training programs that everyone has a chance to get the training that they need to make a better life for themselves and their families. We need to do this before it's too late. It's the word of God that transforms hearts of people who start soup kitchens and rescue children and bring children into churches and teach them at Christian Service Brigade and Pioneer Girls about the things of Jesus Christ. It's Christians who start hospitals and schools and everything that is good about this earth because the word of God got into their hearts. I don't want to be misunderstood, so please don't take this the wrong way because the sermon isn't over yet. But the ultimate purpose of creation isn't fundraising for struggling people. The ultimate purpose of creation is the worship of God. The extravagant, lavish adoration of our creator God who in love has lavished love upon us and grace through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the center of the throne room of heaven, every moment of every day are thousands upon thousands of seraphim and cherubim around the throne room of Jesus Christ 
proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And they go on to say other things in Revelation chapter 4. You are worthy, O Lord and God, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve God, and they will reign on earth. And then I looked, John says, and I heard a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 encircling the throne. With a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. That's what the universe was made to do. And that is what we're made to do on a Sunday morning. And it's out of that praise and out of that adoration and out of that extravagant love for God that God's people lavish the world with God's heart. And sometimes you have to empty a bottle of perfume on Jesus' head just because he's Jesus and he's beautiful. But if we must stop and analyze the gift, then just how much did she throw on the offering plate that day? Because certainly Judas was auditing the books. So to the auditors among us, if you must know, there was half a liter of pure spicknard. It's, by the way, um, an imported thick amber-colored and very aromatic perfume. It comes from a plant that um, is found in only one place in the world. It's found in the Himalayas in India, China. It was considered in the ancient day uh, a luxury by the Egyptians. And by the way, interestingly, it was used as one of 11 different herbs that formed the incense in the holy temple in Jerusalem. Note that. Not only that, it's mentioned twice in the Song of Songs as the ultimate fragrance and perfume of love. Note that. And to this, Judas says, do you know how much this momentary emotional outburst cost? To Mary, it was a family heirloom. They had been saving for embalming probably the next family member who would die. Looking at her brother who was alive, she was thinking, I think, that day, I don't know if I even need this stuff. There is an overly practical focus on cost which misses worth when you reason like Judas. He was um, counting coins and 
Mary was saying to him in her heart, do you have any idea of what Jesus is worth to me? I can't prove this, but um, I have this theory as I've looked back at John chapter 11 and looked carefully at Mary and her reaction to her brother's death and all of that, that Mary absolutely adored her brother Lazarus. I think she loved him more than Martha did. And that's not... That happens. For some reason, Mary just loved Lazarus. The reason I say that is because um, when Jesus first showed up and Lazarus had died, Martha came to meet him. Mary couldn't even come out of the house. I think she was so devastated. She just couldn't come out of the house. And if if you continue reading the story, you'll realize that it wasn't until Mary came to see Jesus that Jesus himself wept when he saw how grieved Mary was. His heart was just broken. And it also says in chapter 11 that the people came to visit Mary, to console her, I think. It's not to say that Martha didn't love her brother, but I think there was something special between Mary and Lazarus, and this act of raising Lazarus to life meant so much to her that she couldn't stop praising and adoring and lavishing love on Jesus. And all she could think to do was to get this expensive bottle of perfume and just pour it all over him. Judas tells us that it was a year's wages worth. Can you imagine? One Sunday morning in an emotional, extravagant moment, you dump fifty or sixty thousand dollars on the offering plate. As far as Judas was concerned, it was too much for the church, too much for God, but not too much for him. He was sort of standing at the side, saying, "That's that's why I don't give money to the church because they just don't know how to manage it well anyway." You know, he had one of those bubbles over his head, you know, what Judas is thinking. I wonder what he's thinking now. For her, it didn't even come close to the value of Christ. He can raise the dead, Judas. Did you miss it? Have you not noticed? Well, there's a third and a final that I want to point out this morning. It has to do with the poor. It has to do with his comment about the poor. Trying to cover over the stench of his own hypocrisy with the smell of pretend piety is always disgusting. But that's who Judas is. It seems strategic, but it always misses the spiritual purpose of the moment. The money should have gone to the poor. Don't we all want to applaud Judas? Not really. And John, in case we are thinking of applauding him, he says, oh, by the way, this, this Judas, this was the guy who betrayed Jesus. By the way, this Judas, he didn't care about the poor. He was excited about the stuff being sold off and the money going in the, the bank account that he had signing privileges to. That's, that's what he was caring about. I, I want you to notice here what really happened. Jesus rebukes him and says, leave her alone. Notice what he says. 
Verse 8. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Leave her alone. She gets it, Judas. Now, when you first look at that, you might think, wait a minute, doesn't Jesus care about the poor? Is he so focused on himself? That's not it at all. Jesus was simply saying to Judas, hey, the poor are all around you. Every day of your life, I expect you to take care of the poor. But this moment, this is a worship moment. This is a moment of extravagance expressed to God. So in your worship, in your extravagance, don't hold back. Be extravagant toward God and then take God's heart to the people around. You miss the spiritual moment. Because we go back one more verse from 8 to 7. And Jesus points out that this, Judas, was intentional. This was purposeful. While you're counting coins and pretending to care about poor people and complaining about what a waste worship is, Mary has been obedient to the direction of the Holy Spirit in her heart. Mary found a way through her lavish love to demonstrate to everybody around who I really am, Judas. She pours this this perfume over my head, the the perfume that is part of the incense system of the, the, the temple of Jerusalem. I am the Holy One of God. She takes this this perfume and and pours love all over me as it was marked out in the scriptures in the Song of Songs, the perfume of love. She, Judas, understands that she is pre-embalming the Lamb of God who by his sacrificial death will make it possible for all people to go from death to life and have eternal life. Isn't it just like our God? Mary had no idea. She just thought this was an act, an impulsive, spirit-directed act of worship and adoration. And our God takes the resources. And he multiplies their reality and what they accomplish and what they state. And in that process, declares to all For years and years, for a thousand, two thousand years, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who would give his life that people might live. That's, Judas, why you need to leave Mary alone. Can I just say to you in closing this morning, here's the basic issue. The danger of reasoning like Judas Hold tight people want to use Jesus. Judas was good with the idea of eternal life and present blessings and health and wealth and social standing and community privilege. But when it came to worship and honor and adoration of Jesus Christ, he just considered it a waste. Listen. There's a danger. It starts with becoming way too familiar with the amazing things of God. 
pretty soon you're auditing everything. Do I need to do this? How much is this going to cost me? What's this worth? Why are, why are we doing that? That's just a waste. It moves to embezzling. Pretty soon your hands are in the till. And then it goes to betraying and opposing the purposes of God. See, for Judas, money was always worth more than life. His attraction to the material made him insensitive to the spiritual. Be very careful. Mary, on the other hand, Mary continued to rehearse in her heart the worth of Christ. It shaped her thinking. It shaped her life. It shaped her love. And because she knew God, who is an extravagant God, she reflected him in her actions as an extravagant, lavish person. The unfortunate thing is that Judas hung out with Jesus, but he never knew him. He never knew who he was. And as usual, he missed the moment to know him. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to be lavish and extravagant in our praise, in our worship, in our adoration. Laying aside the cost and upgrading the worth of our God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. That kind of um, extravagant want has a, a real look to it. Live give. Give big people, uh, by their very nature, that's been transformed by Christ. Prioritize worship and adoration and praise and thanksgiving from their hearts. It has an effect on their lives. In the other versions of the story in Matthew and Mark... Jesus mentions there, leave her alone. She has done a lovely thing or a good thing. The word there really is a lovely thing. People who love God do lovely things. That's their nature. Love um, doesn't count the cost. It just lavishes. And love, that kind of love, is always looking for the moment to be extravagant, to demonstrate that kind of love. That kind of love is always sensitive to the Holy Spirit and never misses that random, reckless, perhaps, thought of just being extravagant. For God. So I pray that our church will be known and continue to be known in our community as just extravagant in our love for God because it will spill out 
all over. The aroma, the fragrance fills the house. It fills the city. Because our great God is extravagant. 1 John 3, verse 1. How much he has lavished his love on us by giving us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was always on John's thoughts. Father, please, please cause us to be like you. Extravagant. Please, Lord, help us not to become familiar with the amazing things of who you are. Please, Lord, help us not to become so practical that we miss beauty and adoration and worship. And Lord, may we never be pretend in our piety that people might think we're doing something significant for God, but in our hearts, we're trying to keep it for ourselves. But may we, Father, be spiritually sensitive and realize that our meager offerings to you no matter how extravagant they might seem to us, are always taken by you and expanded in their effect in ways we could never imagine. And then you credit it to our account because you are so gracious and loving. So, Father, may we just offer ourselves all over again to you and may you... Use us to demonstrate your extravagance, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.